This is Coda Radio, episode 137 for January 19th, 2015. everyone, and welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our excellent host who often mutes his microphone on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Hey there, Chris. <laughs> I thought you'd just troll me on purpose this week. No, I, I didn't mute it. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Dominic, and how's 2015 oh. treating you over there? Uh, 2015 is... Uh, Good. Is it going oh. by fast for you? Is, uh, can you believe we're like halfway through January right now? Does that seem, does that seem possible to you? It seems like, uh, did we skip a week? I think we skipped a week. But then we have episodes that, that would prove otherwise, so I'm very yeah, confused. It, it, confused. It's funny, because I, I, you know, it, it's weird that we're, January's almost done. Like, mm-hmm. It's just gone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it feels like uh, the holiday slump has officially, uh, like, that was, like, that's a, that's a distant memory now. Everybody's yeah. back and working. Everybody wants stuff from me. I got a stack, I call it now. You know that? You, ever, you, you got a name for your work that, that you're not getting to? I, ca- I, got a, I, I call it my stack. You got one of those? Uh, yeah, I call it hell. Yeah. Yeah, I got yeah. a stack, and I'm working through it today. That's what I'm going to be doing this afternoon is working through my stack. Well, that- let me ask you, you're, uh, now, do you get a little bit of a break because of MLK Day today? Or no? Oh, no. Are you kidding? First of all, first of all, I only, I, th- does the internet rest? No. So there's your answer. How can I rest if the internet doesn't rest? See, we have a little bit of a break because oh. most, most customers aren't going to call. Well, is- I, uh, I took a little extra time and did some cooking this morning before I came in. So, I, I mean, uh-huh. I, yeah, I treated myself a little bit this morning, but I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't do as much cooking as I did laying around. And that is inexcusable because I, you know, I just have no excuse. Well, it's like working from home, right? Is it more work or more home? Yeah, it was definitely yeah, more yeah. home. Uh, yeah. But that's all right because it's, I figured, you know what? That's how Martin Luther would want me to do it. I feel like that's, I feel like that's, that make it, makes him happy. I don't think his thing was rest on the couch, Chris. I'm almost sure that oh. wasn't his message. Oh, okay. Well, Mr. Dominic, uh, so after today's episode, I'm going to start working on my stack, and I'm going to work through that. See, what I, when I decided to get into internet broadcasting, I decided, boy, you know what I really want to do is I want to have a stack of work that I want to work through. And uh, I'm sure you've been there. You know, you just have a stack. So uh, speaking of stacks, we've got a stack of email. And our first one comes in from Anonymous. Wow. That could be anybody. Uh, and Anonymous writes here, uh, he says, uh, hello, Michael and Chris. Well, hello. Hello. I'm, I'm using deep in Linux today, Mike, so I got a doc in the shot. It's pretty cool. Uh, he uh, says, insert generic love here. Oh, I will. Uh, he says, I'm 18 years old, and I've just started working on an iOS app for my driving instructor's company. Uh, I'm sorry. How did Android L end up on your, your, your desktop there? Does that look like Android L to you? It looks like, yeah, it looks like material, doesn't it? Uh, I suppose. Here, I'll bring up the file manager. It's got, uh, no, I mean, it's got that light color look to it. Actually, it looks like Mac and Android had a horrible, deformed child that they definitely wow. should have drowned. Are you being judgy on my Deepin? Is that what you're doing right now? You're judging my Deepin? I judge all your technology choices. That's fair. That's fair. It's 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 a temporary setup from Sunday, you know? Uh, I do it for the right. people. Let's not ruin this guy's email. Though. Sorry. All right. So he's uh, he's 18, you know? And uh, as all 18-year-olds do, they're uh, working on... They have his own... He has his own business, and he's... Uh, 
working on his on iOS app naturally. Um, and uh, he says, I've never done such a project before, and I'm scared that I might fall into this kind of trap, which I'm currently unaware of. We've set a price tag on the project, but there's no official contract of any kind. Could you give me some kind of advice on what I should look at or what kind of paperwork has to be done in order to guarantee some kind of healthy collaboration? Is there some kind of way I cannot be made responsible for an error in my app? For example, if some bills maybe get mixed up. Ah, thanks for the great work. And he says, P.S., thanks for the DigitalOcean promo code. I have the database for the app running on a droplet. So far, it's been superb. So what do you think, Mike? Is he too far in now to sort of have a safe uh, Escape hatch yeah. there if there's if there's like maybe some possibility of somebody gets billed wrong, something gets mixed up on the payment side. You've got lots of problems. Um, even before it goes into production, right? You've got the problem of you have a fixed bid deal with no actual scope document. So what stops the person who is your client from saying, "All right, time to pay me that last payment." Oh, we're not, we're not happy yet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people will try to do that even if you do have a scope of work document, right? Oh, just come on. Just give me this one last thing. Come on. It's, yeah. it's nothing. It's obviously implied, right? Yeah. Um, you have lots of problems. Uh, don't do anything on, without a contract. And, you know, damn, fixed bit is bad to begin with. Well, it's his first, you know. So, I mean, it's not yeah. that big of a deal. It's not like it's... No, I mean, yeah, you're not going to, like, destroy yourself on this, but... You know, the person has a lot of opportunity now to rake you over the coals, right? Mm-hmm. Um, unless you're willing to just, who knows? I mean, you could be working with, you know, your uncle. He could be the most honest man on the planet, and you could be fine. Or you could be working with some stranger you found on Craigslist, and he could try to rip you off. Yeah. Or vice versa. Right, or vice versa, because now you, alternatively, I'm surprised you got someone to agree to this without a contract, because you could just say, no, the project's done. Yeah, that's true. It's just that, you know, usually in, 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 in somebody in his position, it's somebody who's a little bit older, who's maybe knows a little bit better, but is figuring, ah, it's a kid, I'll take advantage of the situation a little bit. I'm not trying to make that person sound bad, but it probably just kind of, yeah, we don't need to worry about it, it's just a kid. Well, you know, devil's advocate, right? They're probably figuring, I'm giving this kid starting out a, uh, a shot, so, I'll, you know, I'm going to need the extra protection of being able to be like, no, it's not good enough, yeah. do it again. Yeah. And his name was Philip, by the way, not anonymous. Uh, all right, so Stick wrote in, he says, I'm not a graybeard. Okay, all right, Stick. I didn't say you were, man. I didn't say you were. Well, maybe I did imply a little bit. He says, but I've been at it for at least a minute. Uh, I code at work, but not as my profession. Uh, he says, I make my job easier and hopefully my coworkers' jobs as well. And I, uh, <laughs> and I code as a hobbyist. So full disclaimer, um, so take this as appropriately. A couple of things. Not sure what kind of learner you are, but uh, if a language appeals to you, oh, he must be writing to me, Mr. Dominic. Uh, oh. It might serve you to learn just to stick with that one. If you, have to, if, you have to, if you enjoy it and engage in it, then definitely go with the hipster lang, even if it's just another yep. JavaScript abstraction. hey oh, learning to code is better than not learning to code at all. Boom. Having said that, I will say that if you're thinking about the scripting languages, the one I think makes the most sense, Python. It's a better choice than Ruby. It's simple. Its emphasis on is explicit is uh, better than implicit. There's other reasons that I like Python, but solely if one is better. Uh, I'm sorry. If, I'm solely if talking about a scripting language as a learning tool is my personal opinion. Now, it's interesting. A lot of the last audiences echoed this as well. I guess not so interesting to you, probably. Uh, but uh, he said, uh, but anecdotally, I've watched Ruby guys pine over some of the issues in other languages for longer than they ought to have before realizing they need to actually return to the work and get some work done. It's a no-brainer, but it's also the matter of establishing good early habits. Ah, this is strictly opinion, but I agree. Early habits are good. You mentioned Stack Overflow. Do not! Do not! You stack overflows anew. Do not do it. Everyone points to <laughs> for new coders, but it's a ghetto. 
It's a wasteland of peanut butter and herbis sandwiches. <laughs> I love this guy. Uh, Stick's funny. There's too many points to get in to explain this, but so the bottom line is is such. Their mission statement doesn't even include new jacks. I have learned the lesson the hard way, over and over again. They most assuredly believe in bad questions and would rather tackle uh, them over and over again. Uh, uh, let's see. Gordian programming knots, etc. I'm, I'm skipping ahead here. He says, it makes my eyes bleed and, and, until, and until the Adderall wears off. Find a guide, find a website, find a project you can burn through like Code Academy and learn X the hard way. Don't just subject yourself to Stack Overflow unless you're bringing some question some quote-unquote next-level shit, or whatever they actually call it, stick. What do you think, Mr. Dominic? What do you think about Python? So I like I, that email started really strong for me. You know, if you like a language, use it for everything. I mean, Objective-C for life, what? right? What? I, whatever happened to web objects? That's what I want to know. <laughs> uh, did, you see uh, this, did you see this huge post by, uh, probably not because in the last subreddit by FreeCell, there's a very ginormous long post, and essentially the too long do not read is use Ruby. Or, I'm sorry, use Python. Python 3 is an excellent choice for our first programming, programming language, and I would recommend a lot to newcomers to the world of software development. It uses a lot of programming concepts common in other languages. It has bindings for a lot of common libraries and toolkits, which allow fast development and diverse applications for a lot of targets. Uh, it, forces a particular way of, it, it forces a particular way of writing code on the developer, which I see as a good thing, but there may be people that see it as a downside. There has been some issues with the transition from Python 2 to Python 3 since some common libraries like Twisted have not been ported over. You know, fair enough. Just jumping back to the email real fast. Mm -hmm. I recently, it was actually about a week and a half ago, um, got a bunch of notifications from Stack Overflow. And, you know, I I tend, I don't use it a lot in terms of answering questions. I'm more of a, uh, oh, God, help me kind of guy. But I had answered a number of Mac OS X development questions, let's say like two, perhaps even three years okay. ago. Okay. Now, what do you think people did? You know, the, the, the answers were accepted like three years ago, let's say. Okay. Um, I don't know. I, I, I've never – I don't really so post a lot of questions on there. My inbox was deluged with a bunch of like – jerky comments like oh this doesn't work in yosemite oh, oh right. shit, of Sherlock. course yes yes right <laughs> like, yeah like that's somehow right. your problem and, uh, right i mean did you first of all this is all written for snow leopard right yeah did, did you look at the date did you look at the date before you went pissy yeah and then there was one oh my god why is this using c blah 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 swift is better <laughs> swift like, didn't oh exist uh when i wrote exist. this yeah right <laughs> it's like oh well let me just not use stack overflow anymore that's all that problem did you yeah. uh, did you notice I added a link to uh, your uh, Monument Valley section in the show notes? You probably you probably saw I, that over the weekend, right? I did not see that one. You mean uh, the twenty fourteen one? Yeah, yeah. I did not see that, but I just skimmed it while you were doing the intro. Uh, yeah, I uh, you know, uh, well, I'll read. Uh, you know what? What here? You know what I'll do is I'll take you should you should go through that because we're going to talk about that in a little bit, uh, and it's fascinating. So what I'll do is I'll do a quick uh, Linux Academy spot to give you a sec here. And uh, I'll tell you about Linux Academy because uh, speaking of sort of an op- opportunity where you could take your skills to the next level and doing it in a place that is really good at it, Linux Academy. Go over to linuxacademy.com slash coders to get the Coder Radio discount because you're going to want to keep the subscription once you're signed up. They're adding new stuff all the time, but they already have such a huge back catalog of stuff. I, I really want you to go over there. I want you to check it out and just try it for a little bit linuxacademy.com slash coders. They have step-by-step video courses for all of their content. You can download the comprehensive study guide, store them offline, read them online if you want to. The courses come with their own servers as you need them. 
And the range of topics, they have everything from Linux essentials, the basics to getting Linux rolling, AWS, OpenStack, Nginx, Docker, Vagrant, all the virtualization options out there, puppet management, all the stuff you need to know. If you end up in a role where you're managing a couple of boxes, you can go there and get a crash course in it. If you have application infrastructure that that depends on the Amazon Web Services system, go learn how it works. They have scenario-based training, so you'll actually work with the technology. As you get to a point that requires a server, they spin it up on the back end for you automatically, they give you a public IP address, you get to log in over SSH, you're good to go to work on the systems. You get real exposure to the technology. And the educators are doing live streams, answering your questions. There's a forum community that helps give you that little boost when you need it. And it's kind of encouraging to go over there and read the success stories, which I love getting emailed too, so keep sending those in to me. And what I think is really great about Linux Academy is you're going through the dashboard. You get to really get a good sense of where you're at on stuff. In fact, when you first log in, the first thing you see on the dashboard is a nice graphical representation of how far you are, how far you are with a ring percentage into different courses. When you go in there, it'll tell you, okay, this section is going to take you this long or this long. And if you've got a piece of material that you want to learn, but you only have a limited amount of time available, and this is a great way to keep getting value out of Linux Academy even when you're a little busy, is they have these learning plans. And they're so slick because you log in. You go to the learning plan section. You say, okay, I want to generate one. It gives you a Monday through Sunday chart, and you just scroll all how much availability into hours and just tick up, okay, I've got a couple hours available this day, a couple hours available this day, a couple hours available this day. Generate me a learning plan based on that. Linux Academy will automatically create a unique learning plan just for your availability with reminder emails for quizzes, help you keep track of that kind of stuff. It gives you a heads up how long each section is going to take. It's such an amazing resource, and the people behind it really care about the technology. They're educators. They're Linux enthusiasts. They're developers, and they care came together to create Linux Academy because they knew that the other online education resources are just these generic one-shop, learn-everything messes. They're a hot mess. And Linux Academy is laser-focused on this stuff, and they truly are passionate about it. And they're building it from the ground up. It's really cool. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Go check them out. And it's a great way to support the show and, you know, move your skill set forward at the same time. So it's a really great opportunity. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Thanks to those guys. Okay. So we do have a couple of – well, I think we have one more email to get to. Uh, and uh, then we'll get into the, uh, the the link that you and I are talking about. But I just I, apparently it's it, apparently now it's the trend where developers are just going to start sharing how much money they're making, what their sales numbers are, what works for them. What, it's a, it's, it's a, like a, it's like a voluntary audit for the IRS. Yeah, <laughs> I guess I guess maybe people are doing their taxes and they're looking at this stuff. So we're going to talk about some of that uh, in just a moment. But first, uh, I want to read our last email which uh, came in from Jacob, and uh, Jacob writes, Hey, Chris and Mike. Well, hey, Jacob, how's it going? He says, uh, here's what I think about those languages. No flames, I promise. Ruby and Go, grouping these together because I don't have much experience with either of them, other than looking over some other people's projects. Ruby, I think... I think you'll like this, Chris. To start, it's a language that was meant to be pretty, which is kind of nice. The gem system is amazing, and it's a great way to manage third-party libraries, though I have no experience with publishing or making my own gems. Sometimes Rails can be annoying when setting up your own dev environment, but look into RVM, this Ruby version manager, and maybe visit uh, railstutorial.com. Railstutorial.com. That's a good one. Bash. Oh, look at throwing in Bash here. Great. Bash. It's great for a quick script to do something that you might normally do. Yeah, we know that one. Uh, He says uh, it it can uh, pack a whole bunch of power into a few lines. I agree. I mean, Bash has gotten me a long ways. I just kind of was curious to go beyond that. Now, Python, the much-contended Python. You didn't seem real thrilled about Python, but there's something that might help. IPython. And the book, Python for Unix and Linux Systems. IPython. I, I don't know. What is IPython? Now I want to know. I'm going to go look it up right now. IPython. Intera- oh, okay. IPython is a rich architecture for interactive computing, a powerful interactive shell 
based on QT. Oh, this is okay. All right. So this is cool. It's like a real time. Okay. That's really neat. Uh, so that's called IPython. This is also check out uh, Python for Unix and Linux admins. In the IPython shell, you get a great place to test out the language. I would say, I would say as fish is to bash, IPython is to Python. Great tab completion, an easy way to get documentation, source code for Python libraries you're using, and more. Also, the Python documentation libraries are great. A major grievance with Python, pip, uh, which is uh, their version of gem or apt or get, it's sometimes shit. And white spaces to form blocks of code. Mm. I might still recommend Ruby for you, but really, choose what you're interested to learn about. Boy, I'm getting a lot of good cases for Python. And I like that uh, uh, who, our email here... Uh, Jacob, I like that he uh, he totally. I do like this idea of IPython. It's kind of like kind of why I like to use a Markdown preview when I'm when I'm writing show show notes because I can see how it's going to look in real time. So IPython. Let me, t- let me. You know, I know Jacob actually. He is a an anomaly. He is a Ruby hipster on an Ubuntu machine. <laughs> no wonder why he's recommended Python. They call him the monster, the <laughs> abomination. <laughs> he either needs to pick up the Python or pick up a Mac. You got to choose a lane. Well, you remember what kind of was pushing me over the edge towards Ruby was that we're using Ruby here in-house, too, for some stuff already. Oh, uh, because you guys are very wise. And uh, so uh, Rikai, who I think is supporting my uh, inclination to Ruby, linked me to this book. Have you seen this? Uh, it's, this it's like he says a great way to start with Ruby. Uh, why? What is it? What is it? Why? Pigrant's Guide to Ruby. What does it say? Pigrant? Pigeant? P-O-I-G-I, I can't even, because I'm, I'm, I'm standing too far away from the screen today because I'm not using my old monitor. Uh, but anyways, it's an online book that is an introduction to getting started with Ruby, and it looks incredibly badass. And, so, and it's, it's, I should probably point out that it appears to be uh, graphically illustrated. So I'm oh, gonna, my God. Yeah, yeah, it's graphically illustrated. Language. I need Chihuahua. Yeah, so I'll put a link to that in the show notes. It could be a... It, he says, uh, why, yeah, why Pigeon's Guide to, Pro, to Ruby? I'm not sure if I'm getting that right, but I don't get the joke. But all right, it's a, a cartoon. It's it is it's a cartoon book introduction to Ruby, and he says it's great. So I'm going to give it a read. Well, the, the code school people have that Ruby or Rails for Zombies too, which is pretty good, and I think free. Hmm. Hmm. Part of it's free, something. Hmm. I'll take a look. Although I'm telling you, I'm a, I'm a little torn right now between Python and Ruby. I, I have a little. I've, I I'm not moving forward because I'm a little indecisive. Oh, Chris, you know, know you're going to go with Python, and, and I can tell you why you're going to go with Python. Oh, really? Because if you go with Ruby every Sunday, you're going to have lots of hate mail. <laughs> oh, then, really? Yes, and then during Linux Unplugged, it'll just be the pillory Chris hour, and I will dial in for that. Oh, jeez. I love how you feel it. Hmm. I'm gonna. Well, that iPython is very tempting, because I do feel like I, I, I learn much better if I can see in real time how I'm doing. I do like that a lot. You know, Ruby has ERP. Uh, not ERP. Mm. What the hell is the Ruby console thing? The uh, kind of the same idea, though. Yeah, same, same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Python. Okay. Python is divided. What does that even mean? I'm so, I'm so stressed by it. You know, I'm just saying, Chris, in, in the Bible, IRB, IRB is what you're probably thinking of. In the Bible, in the Garden of Eden, was it a giant Ruby gnome statue thing, or was it a snake? <laughs> it was a snake. I think it was a snake. Yeah, it was right. a snake. Yeah. So, so you, you don't you don't want to be on the side of the devil, do you, Chris? I do like uh, I do like gems. That sound gems sound particularly my kind of lazy. I just gotta say, they really. Uh, yeah, but but gems are also evil, right? Because it. Hmm. It's all fun and games until a gem won't build for some strange make file error. Mm. Then you have to go play with your configuration on your system. 
and then set up RVM to have different Ruby environments, and then you have to cry when it doesn't work. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that does. Uh, so if I went Python, I'd have to go Python three too. Sounds like. Why would you go? No, I think you'd want to go Python two. Every oh Python... my gosh, this is so confusing. Oh, and people are mentioning no just to piss me off. Well, you know. <sighs> Can we cleanse? Can we just take a cleanse? Let's take a cleanse. Talk about something we both like. Something that makes us happy. It's DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean. We can talk about that, too. Did you see the DigitalOcean rolled out free BSD support? I know they fall into the ways of the devil. <laughs> well, now now there's options for those of the Allen variety out there. Allen's got a DigitalOcean droplet now. Can you believe it? It's great. Oh uh, yeah, he's over there checking it out. And here, it's a great opportunity. So let me tell you about our sponsor, DigitalOcean. Uh, you heard it from our emailer. He's using it for the backend database for his apps. You could do the same. Maybe you need a GitLab instance. Maybe you need a WordPress blog or a Ghost blog if I could make a recommendation. Uh, you know, just something that accompany your project or your app. There's all kinds of things you could use DigitalOcean for. You'd be like Mr. Dominic. You can use it for the back-end infrastructure. You'd be like Jupyter Broadcasting. We've got OwnCloud, BitTorrent, Sync. We've also got some Ruby running up there, believe it or not, up on a DigitalOcean droplet, as well as some other back-end sync services. All kinds of great stuff over at DigitalOcean that we've been able to take advantage of. They've got one-click installations. If you're not familiar with them, it's worth a visit. They're a simple cloud hosting provider, and they're dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to get started. In less than a minute, you can get your own cloud server. And pricing plans start only $5 per month. They get you 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte, a terabyte of transfer. And they've got data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, and London. They're gorgeous. You can find pictures on their Instagram feed. Mm. But the interface is so great. It is so great. Intuitive, but powerful. And you can replicate it on a larger scale with their straightforward API, take advantage of a lot of the great apps and resources the community has already written or write some of your own. And DigitalOcean is always growing out their tutorial section as well. This is, this is, I love this because the interface is so great. You can get started so fast. And then it's like, okay, I got my machine now. Now I need to go do something. And this is usually where the disconnect begins. Okay, spun up. I'm paying. I need to do something. DigitalOcean has a great, great set of tutorials, becoming one of the best repositories on the web, seriously, because they're willing to pay for them. In fact, they'll even pay you. If you've got something you can write, they'll pay up to $200, and they have editors that will work with you, and then they'll publish that. DigitalOcean.com. We've got a brand new promo code for 2015. It's Coder Digital when you check out or actually just apply it to your account. It's one of the other things I love a lot about it is you can apply and have a balance on there, so you can go in there and just use Coder Digital. Get a $10 credit, try out that $5 rig, two months for free. If you want to use FreeBSD or Ubuntu, Fedora, CoreOS, try it out. Try out the one-click installations. I think you'll be pretty impressed how fast you can get up with Ruby on Rails or GitLab or Docker. DigitalOcean.com and use the promo code CoderDigital. Get the $10 credit and support the Coder Radio program. CoderDigital, DigitalOcean.com. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. You guys are awesome. And a ding. Okay, so uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some dirty laundry. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, when Marco Armit tweeted out uh, that he was doing this, oh, I, I, I don't remember what he wrote, but like basically it was like, here's my underwear or something like that. And he tweeted out a link to his blog post. And uh, I'm looking for it right now to see if I can find it. Mm, no, because he tweets a lot, it turns out. Boy, look at all these tweetings. This is kind of ridiculous. Well, you know, we should probably start with the Monument Valley. Yeah, I know. It's got, it's got right. a graph and a color chart. You're right. You're right. But I just yeah. loved what he had to say. I thought it was I thought it was so funny because it really does feel like you're getting a peek into, yeah, I want to see my underwear drawer is what he said. Yeah, yeah there you go. Because that's what we're doing. 
Uh, Monument Valley, massively successful game. I mean, have you played it? It's great. I actually do like it. it it's funny because I didn't think I'd like it, but it's fun. I it's relaxing. Yeah, and and they did something that most people don't do. They actually said how much money they've made and yeah, things it, like that. It's a little trippy, though, right? Like it's a little, you know, what well, the game? A little zenny? Yeah. A little? Uh, Let's just say I imagine it does very well in Colorado and Washington State. <laughs> maybe so. Maybe so. It's very peaceful, is what it is. Yeah, it's a sit back it's a, and just sort of zen out and play. So let me break this down for you. So break, they break. have this beautiful chart, which I think is in the chat room somewhere, um, about it says Monument Valley in numbers, right? So they've had lots of sales. It's too much, really. Uh, I, I kid, I kid. And they break it down by platform and by uh, distribution platform. Mm-hmm. So who's the top dog, Chris? Come on. 80, 81.7%. Who's there? iOS. Every time. Yeah. Who's, who's in second with a depressing 13.9%? Google Play. And who is, you know, showed up to the race and fell down at the starting line? Amazon. Now, what's really interesting about that Amazon figure, though, they sold, as in paid, right, some amount of money over zero, 92,000 roughly uh, licenses on Amazon, right? We'll, we'll say volume licenses, whatever, units, let's call it, right? But when it was the free app on Amazon, 407,000. That's horrible. You know what actually was thinking is even worse? And it's just, it's just Microsoft's just not even in the, into the conversation. Right. There's no, like, winner. Well, I don't think it was ever released for, for anything else. No, I know, I know. Yeah, it's pathetic. In fact, uh, there's another chart here. If you look at revenue over time, iOS release, it, like, it's the highest thing on the chart. Android release is, is, their Android release is lower than some of their sales or new updated content on iOS. Individually for iOS. I yeah. mean, there is a, you know, not to put on my, my uh, evil businessman mustache and twirl it, there is a really sound argument if there was to be like a Monument Valley 2 to just be iOS here, right? Yeah. I mean, because what I, I would love to see the counter to this chart. What percentage of your cost and your effort went into each platform and each platform? Uh, platform as an iOS versus Android platform, also as in vendor, right? Because remember, the Kindle is Android, but it's a little weird. This is, uh, I mean, so devastating. This is crushing. Like, like they could. I, I, I would love to be behind the scenes with the Monument Valley guys and just ask them after getting them drunk so they would share this. Like, honestly, V two, you're not going Android, are you? And you're I, just not. I, I, so, and here's the thing: is like this isn't like a uh, like an arbitrary game that nobody really heard of. This was pretty. This this game was. I, I personally saw it very well featured in the Play Store. Yeah, it was. And, and, and if I hadn't already bought it on iPad, oops. I might have picked it up on my Nexus 7. Is that right? what it is? Do you think maybe that's what it is, is that it was no, out six I, months? I don't think that's it. I think because most people, the most non-super nerdy dev people, aren't going to have two tablets. and Yeah, I phones, agree. Right? I agree. I just wanted to give them a, an excuse. No, I, well, this isn't their fault. I mean, what are, you, are you trying to suggest that they don't know how to market to the Android market? No, I don't know what the, I don't know what the excuse is because everybody's been telling me that uh, Android is becoming a uh, first-rate gaming platform. You know, I'm going to quote one of my past clients here, but Mike, Android is for poor people. Just get it to run. Oh my god! Yeah, literally, I shit you not. Really? Yep. Just, the bar for Android was get it to run. Hi Bailey. My dog is an Android fan. He's very upset. He walked out of the room now. Well, and that is, I, I you know, uh, I think that may be true for a certain range of the market. 
that you know can only afford you know they're not going to go buy a high-end phone that has a decent gpu uh it just seems like the it what doesn't correlate is the numbers the the distribution it would seem like that would make it up uh i look at this and i think to myself will it be like this this it, so will it be like this in 2016 because I feel like we've been talking about this since uh, basically this has been a popular comparison since really Google named it the Play Store. Remember when they kind of went from the Android marketplace yep. to the yep. Google Play Store? And then we really started making more of these comparisons because, ah, the Play Store, obviously they're, you know, you're, you're selling games, it's to have fun. Now we're at tw- the end of this is from the end of 2014. It doesn't seem like Google successfully, from this one case, moved the needle for, for developers over 2014. Okay, but so so it's not this one case is the problem, though, right? I mean, Monument Valley people have been very open and really put a lot of effort into these nice-looking charts. But this is kind of the anecdotal story we see all the time, right? Oh, we didn't make any money on the Android version, so V2 is going to be iOS. Okay, thanks, bye. Or maybe there won't be a V2, right? I... Now, devil's advocacy here, right? Monument Valley is a straight-up purchase. Right, you buy the app and then you buy the in-app purchase, which is an expansion, basically. Maybe that revenue model doesn't fly on Android. Mm, gosh, you know it's really damning. Yeah, is, I mean, that's, I'm that, looking at the Christmas sales. Yeah, go on. And the Christmas sales are just tiny on Android compared yeah. to they don't but even they makes, don't even break 20k. That makes perfect sense, right? Because when you know people are getting their husbands, their wives, their family gifts, and they want to get them a tablet. Guess what? They're getting them an iPad. I don't know. I mean, maybe people buy the, you know, they don't want to spend a lot of money on their somewhere or others. Like, I don't know. I mean, I'm looking at this. So uh, on on iOS, they breached almost uh, 85K, it looks like. Yeah. Uh, and they didn't even crack 20K on Android Christmas Day. For Christmas only. They made a lot more money than 85K, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's damning because especially for a game, that's going to be, you know, that's going to be. What's also interesting is if you take a look at the bottom of the page, they have these awards that Apple gives, Design Awards and iPad Game of the Year. Google doesn't currently, to my knowledge, do anything like that. I think that helps. I guess it does, doesn't it? Uh, I think anything that you can put on your site and in your marketing materials that shows recognition to stand out from the other millions of apps is super helpful. Eight core team members based in London. Yep. Original eight hundred and fifty-two thousand dollars. Forgotten Shores five hundred and fifty thousand dollars. The first one was in fifty-five weeks. Second one was in twenty-nine weeks. Eight people. Gosh, when it works, it works, doesn't it? Yeah, wow. I mean it, that's 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 fine, right? No one's going to cry about that. April third, twenty fourteen, launch day. They made one hundred and forty-five thousand dollars in one day. <laughs> All right, so there's uh, that's Monument Valley. It's a game everybody's heard of. Uh, should we talk about Overcast? Let's talk about Overcast, yeah. So uh, we, you might remember here on the show, Mike and I both reviewed Overcast. It's, I think, is this still your preferred podcast player? Yeah, it's my daily driver. Yeah, it is, it is my preferred podcast player, too. Um, and it's even gotten better since we've talked about it. To Marco's credit, he's continued to make uh, a really good product. Uh, it's got an iPad support now, which is nice. Um, and uh, a few other things. Uh, so he has posted his sales numbers 
for Overcast, uh, which launched on July 16th, 2014. He worked on it for full time for 15 months. He did it as a free download, and then it has a unlock everything upgrade tier in the app. So it's a free app with a $5 in-app purchase. It gives you things like uh, cellular downloads and stuff like that. As he puts it, he had a perfect launch. Uh, so as, as good as he says as an indie developer could possibly hope for with tons of great press, mid-Apple, uh, mid-level app store features, and thousands of tweets on each day. So uh, for calendar year 2014, 318, 966 total downloads, uh, 46,000, I'll just say 47,000 in-app purchases. So he has an in-app purchase rate of 14.7% of the people that download his app. So fourteen, it's about 15% of the people that download his app uh, unlock it with the $5 unlock. Total revenue after Apple's 30% cut is $164,000. 164000 that's, that's not bad. Uh, but that's before any taxes, though, but before that's after Apple's cut. $85,000 earned in the first month of sales alone for Overcast. $85,000 in the first month. Uh, per month, excluding the launch month, since that was the outlier, 27000 about 30000 about 28000 around that range, average monthly downloads. 4,600 average monthly uh, in-app purchases. So he's actually got a higher rate than before. He's got a 16.3% uh, in-app purchase rate. And he's making about $15,000 a month selling Overcast, which he calls a sustainable business now. Yeah. Uh, $15,000 a month surely is. And what's interesting is now he has a bit of a Christmas bump in here, but you can see he's got – he actually posted, I think, the charts right from the uh, developer dashboard – and uh, you can see it, it almost got up to $100,000 on launch. It peaked, it settled around in October, but since October, his sales have actually been climbing again. Uh, and uh, including uh, in-app purchase as well. So it depends, it seems like if you nail it on the App Store, you could make yourself quite a good daily living off of it from these. Did anything about these numbers surprise you? I. You know the fourteen point seven percent conversion rate. I actually was was surprised at, and it's actually now holding at sixteen point three percent conversion. Right. Rate. Yeah, I was surprised by that too. So you figure twenty seven thousand, about twenty eight thousand right. monthly downloads, and about forty five hundred of that twenty eight thousand buy it. Right. So you can get an idea of the kind of scale your app has to have in order to make money, and if and that's assuming you have a compelling reason for people to pay. Yeah. That, is that lower or higher than you were thinking? You know, I expected it to be higher for Overcast, but I, overall I kind of expect it to be lower. Mm. Okay. Which is interesting. Yeah, I wonder how long he'll be able to make money at that. Because it seems like it's pretty tied to new hardware releases for, for them, you know, and holidays and stuff. So that's, that's the one thing when I look at these numbers is I wonder how sustainable that is long term. They seem to think sustainable on iOS. We'll see. Uh, I think that depends, I guess, as long as Apple can keep up the horse race, right? I'm not sure I follow you because, okay, so Overcast is iOS only, but I, I doubt he'd be making 15 grand a month on Android. No, but uh, it, doesn't it seem like at a certain point he's going to have the Instapaper problem or he'll reach a saturation because... Well, right, you're going to run out of people who care enough about podcasts to pay money. Yeah, uh, unless Apple continually just adds unbelievable amounts of new users all the time, which I guess they do pretty good at. So, but it, it doesn't. It seems like like so for Monument Valley, it, and, and for Overcast, it, it seems like if I was Monument Valley, I would be developing the Android version right now, assuming that eventually I'm going to probably sell Monument Valley for all the iPads that are going to buy it. 
I don't think that's I don't think that follows, right? Because I, I if it were pure market share, remember money, it's also a phone game. If it were a pure market share, Android would be more money. I mean or at least equal, right? Hmm. Yeah, I guess. I mean not not to play the You're kinda of turning card. my logic around on me, but yeah, I guess you're right. Yeah. Right. Not to play the old card, but there is something to say about, you know, there's customers you want and customers you don't want. Hmm. And maybe so, you know, just making the argument here. Maybe the kind of the stereotype of Android customers being unwilling to pay outright for software is actually based in fact, right? Well, I have a total anecdote for you, but I have, you know, I've I've been sort of observing my my friends, and uh, my wife was uh, talking to a friend of hers uh, who uh, has, you know, just like the she she definitely got the cheapest Android phone she could get on contract that's that's because in, in her and she says i've heard her say it a couple times in her mind i pay ten dollars a month to have a smartphone i guess maybe she has to have like like a smartphone plan or something like she pays like extra money to have a smartphone which is adorable uh and so she pays i paid ten dollars a month for my smartphone i'm not going to spend two hundred dollars on a smartphone and i'm not going to pay for any apps and so her son wants to play minecraft really bad but in her mind because she's paying ten dollars a month to her carrier to have the opportunity to have a smartphone, everything that she wants to do on that smartphone should be free. It should be included in that ten dollars. So she refuses to pay six ninety nine for Minecraft Pocket Edition. She won't do it. She has a you know I have no credit card on file with Google Play policy, or whatever she does. I don't know how she pulls it off because I think she actually has bought a few apps. But for her, it's just a hard rule. And so when when it got to that point in the conversation, Angela said, "Well, actually, they have it because she has like a, a note or something. Like they have it for Android. You could just play on that." And then she's all oh, really, and she opens up the Play Store. She types in Minecraft. She's all she's all good to go to hit app to hit buy. But as soon as she has to spend six ninety nine up front, won't do it. Yep. There's probably iPhone users out there like that though too. I would bet, but maybe not as many. I don't know. And 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 I maybe that's they, why. They, they, yeah, they definitely exist, right? But the problem is, it doesn't matter. Right. As long as there's enough people willing to pay, you don't care. I mean, at some point, the question becomes, how can we, you know, how can we, frankly, not have customers who don't pay us? Right. I think, well, maybe this is where something like Ubuntu Touch makes sense. The the carrier takes a phone. They integrate the they integrate in their own app store as a lens or a scope, whatever. I guess it's called a scope. And as part of your fee to the month, your monthly fee to the carrier you get a credit in their app store for a couple of apps a month. And when that user uses that credit, the developer gets paid from the carrier and the user is essentially getting a free app because they're paying into a monthly price because apparently people don't mind paying per month for something. And so, you, you know, you charge, so maybe, they're, maybe they're charging them $15 for the comprehensive smartphone package and then that includes a three app credit or something. So they're getting, they, they'll buy three apps indirectly. You think that's something like that could happen? I don't know. I think you. I think you don't. I think you're counting out the carriers. I think uh, they're the ones. I think they're the ones are going to have the final laugh. That's just my bet. Wow. Okay. Why would they want to do anything like that, though? To get your credit card in there, to get you buying apps, and if you bought more than three, then you'd have to pay. You know, so they give you a couple credits to buy a few, and then maybe they get you hooked, and you keep buying. I don't know. Because you have this, you have this fundamental problem. That I think you're up against where, you know, we talk about how well the, the you know, there's, there's. Forty percent of the market out there is that still doesn't have smartphones, right? right. Uh, but there's also as as more of those people come on as smartphone owners, 
there's probably a much larger percentage of them that are going to be unwilling to pay for apps on their smartphone. They've never had a smartphone. They don't see a, they don't see a necessary value in it. And they're not going to see a value in spending money on apps. And as you start to get everybody on these kinds of devices, it's going to become a more and more of a problem. And you're going to have a problem where developers, except people like Monument Valley and Marco Arment, aren't going to be making any money. Whereas if you give people a little bit of credits, then everybody's going to, I, I just, I'm trying to figure out how you're, when you bring more people into this economy, when you bring more people into using these devices, but nobody's willing to pay for anything, how anybody's going to make a bunch of money like yourself? Unless you all okay. just want to become a bunch of open source hippies and just do it for the goodwill, then I don't know. Maybe you do. All right, here, here's the deal, though, right? The carrier has no incentive to do that. Um, and it's not really the carrier's fault. They're terribly evil and do horrible things, but in this case, they're not at fault. Only because, do you know what devalues apples? Apples, right? You know what devalues oranges? Oranges. All right, well, let me ask you this then. So why, why, why does Fingertip Tech bother with Android development? If you're looking at these numbers... Uh, do we? Or do we only do it for, for clients? Hmm. Okay, so you're saying if you were going to ship uh, and make an app and sell it directly, All right, so, so he, you wouldn't do what it. I'm, here's what I'm noticing, right? Android is a great platform if your revenue model is a service that the app is a front end to. If your revenue model is I'm going to sell this app for any dollar value above zero, it doesn't work. And that that that's hmm. that's just reality, right? It's trying you know, to think if I, that's just not the way it's going to go, though. In general, right. So my argument would be this is um, Android is just leading the charge. Exactly. Right? Well, and then you're going to have the Linux desktop that'll be there to a degree. You're also going to have you know Chromebooks to a degree. Well, this, that, is, this is the the web software problem, right? Yeah. You know, it's screwed over web developers for, for to be able to do the indie, you know, Mac iOS developer thing. Google, when they made Gmail and Google Docs free, hmm. right? The minute you have quality software that has a zero cost in terms of actual financial cost, you devalue everything else because free becomes the expectation. Mm-hmm. And that that is deadly. Yeah, I, I find myself these days like uh, Angela really wants Office. She really wants right. Office for for the tax stuff she's doing. She just wants to use Excel, and that's what she was trained in. That's what she's used for years. And I'm like, well, let's use LibreOffice. Let's use Google Docs. I'm, tr- let's try- I'm trying all these other alternatives, and she tries them to her credit, and she doesn't find them to, to do what she wants in the same way. She's like, I just want to get my work done. And I am having a really hard time bringing myself to spend $300 to buy Office. I just can't do it. To me, something has flipped in my brain in software – especially software that has been updated since 2011, uh, it just doesn't hold that value to me anymore. Now, she want Office for Mac or for... Yeah, for the Mac. Yeah, you shouldn't pay for that. I know, right? It hasn't yeah, been updated yeah. since 2011. <laughs> it's not, ridiculous. Like, I'm, I'm Mr. Pay for Stuff, but not, not that. They need to fix that. It's just... It, uh, and so, but my point is, like, in the past, back when I was working in IT, that wouldn't have been... I probably would have had, like, a TechNet subscription or something and would have just gotten it anyways. But I... I, I just paying a thousand dollars for a server operating system, paying paying five thousand dollars for a SQL, these kinds of things were very normal to me. Like that did not. So three hundred dollars was an extremely cheap. Like when it came time for me to buy Photoshop for Jupiter Broadcasting, I, I, it was like twelve hundred dollars. Like oh, that's fine. Now looking back, twelve hundred dollars. It's crazy. Uh, so I've made a huge shift, and I just I guess I want to emphasize your point is what. I, I you I I feel for what you're saying is it seems like the best way to make money is to create a service. 
uh, but and that's extremely limited in what you could do. But I look at Android, I look at Chromebooks, I look at the web, I look at cheap mobile devices in general, and I look at the Linux desktop, and all of that is kind of like it's it's sort of eradicating the value of software because they give you so much for free. Uh, right. You know, when I now when I when I set up a Linux desktop, I'm I just I, I'm amazed at like how much I can do for free with like no other tools needed than what's in the repository. It's and I, I think to myself, I will never like I, I will never pay three or four hundred dollars for an operating system again. That those 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 ages that time will never come back. Yeah. And it's not just operating systems. It's it's all like I'm now. I'm not willing to pay for Office software because for me, LibreOffice and Google Docs does everything I need. It's not perfect. I don't like either one very much, but they've ch- again changed the value of it for me. So uh, I, I guess maybe what I guess maybe what, what we're kind of saying in a, in a roundabout way is, if you're going to depend on direct sales, and not something like an in-app purchase or a service purchase, you might want to seriously consider limiting the platforms you focus on, even if it hurts your freedom bone. Well, there's also the other, the other side of this equation. More platforms equals higher costs, more support, more work in general, right? I mean, there are other really, really good reasons not to support multiple platforms. I, yeah, I mean, you're talking to a guy who encodes stuff three, four different ways to give people choice. You know, I just... I, I guess I'm a big fan of... This is something else. I'm a big fan of knowing the market you're addressing... And accommodating them, and like, 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 if Jupiter Broadcasting had an iOS only app, see, ironically, we have Android only apps. I don't. There's not an iOS app for Jupiter Broadcasting, but there's a couple for Android. We have the we have the opposite right. problem because of who our audience is, right? So that's it's. There's a lot of dynamics there to take into consideration. So I look at these data points from Monument Valley and and uh, Marco, and there's actually a, another one I saw come up on Hacker News. Um, I wonder if I bookmarked it. And uh, I look at these and I think, okay, these are interesting data points, but. You can't you can't base your entire assumption just because their apps are doing that way. But I I can't help but kind of agree with you a little bit that it does kind of seem a little disappointing that Android's still at this state. Because if they, if Android was pulling down the money the iOS store was, but in the volume of Android deployments, there'd be a serious amount of jobs out there. It would actually be really good for the development community. There'd be a lot more revenue coming in. All right, Mr. Dominic, is there anything else we want to cover in this week's episode of the Coda Radio program? Oh, you had no. a uh, auto-send. Oh, I did, yeah. I mean, it, it's just more depression, but we can leave it in the show notes. Basically, they break down. No, okay, in this case, remember, they are a marketing services company trying to sell you marketing services. So okay. take that for what it is. Okay. But they basically break down the marketing costs, what you have to do, and, and what the revenue story is for most indie developers. And it's rough. I, uh, I, I don't know. I, I yes, I think it's a transition period. I think it means that eventually people will figure out that the PC desktop is still selling a whole bunch, and we still need great apps. So that's there. the other thing, right? Because we didn't just we actually should have put it in Panic Software, uh, yeah. old school Mac iOS developers. Yeah. They did the same post. Yeah, and they make way uh, more money on the Mac. Well, their volume on iOS is amazing. Yeah, as to their support and maintenance cost. Yeah. And their their profit per unit on Mac is just ridiculous. Like again, douchey business guy would look at that chart and be like, "Well, there's an obvious move here." Mm-hmm. So. I, I agree. I think people like uh, I think people like Panic that are contributing to that. We should probably have included that. I uh, I talked about it Linux Unplugged two weeks ago, though. If people want to go check that out, and uh, essentially what they said is, yeah, what Mike just said. We can just charge more on the Mac platform. The user base is. Is more willing to pay, you know, is is sees value in software and is willing to pay for that, and uh, we can make more money there. I, it's it's 
it's very telling. And I think when all of this when all of this settles down, there's going to be a bit more of a balancing out. And people are going to go, oh yeah, the desktop. Yeah, you know, people are still creating the the best stuff that we create. The things that are really amazing that we create are happening there, and there's money to be made there for a lot of a lot of developers. And we're in the process, I think, of people coming to that realization right now. I think we are. I think it's going to be. I think 2015 is going to be the year where this revenue stuff is going to have to sort itself out. Mm-hmm. And, and the answer may be just like the web: you you have to be a service, or you know, yeah, people either. I mean, I, I kind of see a two-tiered system in all these app stores where there's the crap apps that majority of people buy and then the good apps that are kind of like, you know, it's almost like the box of wine versus the good bottle of wine kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and this will be, be the year where people realize, you know, maybe the little bit of marketing speak that I've gotten from Apple and the Googles and the Microsoft out there, maybe that doesn't quite apply to what I do, the area that I work in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, where Google's like, we'll make it up on volume. Mm. Yeah, you need a couple million in volume. Well, wait, wait, wait. Give us till Android One's working, and then we'll have it all sorted out. Wait, wait, wait till we get Motorola spun off. Then we'll have it all sorted out. Then we'll have it all sorted out. Wait till the next set of Play API services come along. Then we'll have it all set up. No. Meanwhile, my desktop and laptop are just sitting here like, man, I got so much storage space and so much CPU. Just put stuff on me. They're They're begging for it. Mr. Dominic, is there anywhere you'd like to send people when they're begging for a little more you? Uh, well, go follow at Fingertip Tech on Twitter. Beautiful, beautiful. Don't forget, Coda Radio is live on a Monday, noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, jblive.tv. We'd love to have your attendance. You can help title our episode, CodaRadio.reddit.com, where you go to interact with the show throughout the week. And don't forget, we want your contact info, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. Send your emails in. See you back here next week. <laughs> <laughs>